Hello everyone, welcome to Life of Brian, dot dot dot, Mannix, that is the podcast. My name's Kevin Hillier, his name's Brian Mannix, because he's the star. Hello, oh. hello Brian. I'm the star. Kevin, come on, you're the star. I'm just here for my good looks. <laughs> uh, how are you, Rockstar? How is, how's life on the sunshine uh, in Queensland? Look, it's pretty nice, Kev. It's, um, and the only thing I would say is that it really does need daylight savings. They're kidding themselves. Oh, ah, okay. The sun's up at quarter to five and it's, it's gone by six o'clock or quarter past six and it's like it's, it's so bright so early in the morning I didn't bring my sleep mask with me so I've had to wear a pair of undies over my face <laughs> to keep the light out. Not for the first time in his existence. Yeah, these are my undies, so that's... <laughs> oh, that is a first. <laughs> that is a first. And um, I tell you, oh, look at my hair. My hair's all sort uh, of flat and things. I've had undies on my head while I've been sleeping. It's um, Yeah, I find that. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure I'm not telling our listeners anything that they don't already know. Or haven't like, or haven't fantasised about. So. Well, you know, they know that... Um, if you put a pair of undies on your head oh. while you go to sleep, you're um, to cover your eyes, it's going to flatten your hair a little bit. So yep. I'll have to get in the pool today and uh, get some chlorine or some salt water in it and um, get get the hair right because the undies on the head to block out the lack of daylight savings is uh, having a detrimental effect on my hairstyle. I'm sure that'll be the thing that will change the Queensland Parliament voting. Once you get that into the uh, agenda and into the argument and the conversation about daylight saving in Queensland, once you mention the undies on the head scenario, Brian, it'll get voted straight in. All the people in the country who don't want the cows to get up earlier and all that stuff, they'll go, no, if it means Brian doesn't have to sleep with undies on his head, let's get it in. (laughs) That's it. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's like I did some washing because I, you know, had some clean up. Oh, what well, if, there, thank what you. What if I only had yeah, two? Yeah, okay, fine. On, All like, right. You know? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Running wh- around and sweating <laughs> in the thing and then suddenly, oh, gee, I've got to put these on my head now. Oh, Enough about you and your undies. So let's talk about what's on the show. It's a great show we've got coming up thanks to our good friends at Mercot's Driving Excellence, Alex Smith. Oh, he's a good man. He's a he's, superstar. He's a great singer and he's a great bloke and he does just some really nice things to the community. Yeah, he does. And we've yeah. tracked him down uh, for many, many years, lived in London, but he now lives in the north of Italy. So we've tracked him down to his little farmhouse in the north of Italy and we're going to have a chat to Alex. And then in our new and uh, exciting segment called I Love That Song. Yes, I love it. I know, and, and we both love this song. This is a song we've talked about for years on different radio shows and podcasts oh, and stuff that yes. we've done. Yes. Brandy, You're a Fine Girl. Wow, what a song. And um, Have you ever sung uh, it? Have you ever done a version of it? I've never sung it, no. But, um, but uh, my brother's band plays it from time to time. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's just a great song. It's sort of... It's sort of daggy but really cool all in the same go. Yeah. And I think that's what works for me. It's sort of... 
a contradiction within itself, but it's it's just catchy and just makes you smile. I love it. Yeah, it does. Uh, so the man who wrote it and uh, was the voice on it, the singer on uh, on it with uh, the band Looking Glass, who had a you know a meteoric career that they had, the the one massive big hit, and not much else after that. Uh, he's still around. Uh, he's still uh, there's a, an a cappella version on his website that is just. Brilliant. Uh, so he's still singing brilliantly and uh, we've tracked him down too. So Elliot Lurie will join us, the singer of uh, Looking Glass and the writer of uh, Brandy, You're a Fine Girl, and we'll have a chat to him about how that song came together. Yeah. I love that song. I love that song yes. too. Yes. I love it. I love it. Can't get enough of it. <laughs> <sighs> Should have called Burkotts. Oh, jeez. Um uh, well, okay. you, you don't you don't want that to be you, do you? That could be happening out on the uh, on the, the Cavill Avenue and Surface Paradise, that sort of mayhem and destruction, or it could be happening on the Calder Freeway or the Westgate Bridge, or you know, you know, you, you know what you, Bridge. You know what has to happen. What? Better go to Mercotts. Better go to Mercotts. Better go to Mercotts. Mercotts yeah. Driving Excellence. They're our people. Mercotts.edu.au. That's our. That's the website. The telephone number is simple to remember. Uh, look. I reckon it's the easiest telephone number in the world to remember. one three hundred triple five five seven six. 555 576 Keith. The defence rests. There you go. <laughs> I've got it. And I tell you, when you go to Mercotts and mm. you want to improve your driving, one of the first things they say to you is take those undies off your head. You'll, <laughs> you'll be able to see better. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do. That's you know, like, some people don't know that, you know, having a pair of undies across your face is going to have a detrimental effect to your driving ability. Mm. But they wouldn't know that. You get down to Mercos, the first thing they say, before you even get in the car, they say, take the undies off your head. That may have just been your lesson with uh, Mercotts, Brian, not maybe everybody else's. Well, as you can see, I've I've had a lesson with <laughs> Mercotts. The, the undies are off my head and uh, I'm up and about and um, what was it? Bit of a bird down by the pool. Hello, hello, baby. She should get down oh, to Mercotts. Here we go. Uh, Elliot Lurie is coming up, the singer of uh, <laughs> of Brandy. You're a fine girl. But first up, our first guest on the program is Alex Smith. We tracked him down with his goats and his dogs and his sheep and his uh, wife, who's a sculptor uh, in northern Italy, to have a chat about uh, some amazing things, including a week that you guys spent together in Perth around the time that Australia won the America's Cup. <laughs> some fun, I tell you. Mm. That was um, that was very good. It was a very good time and uh, I can't wait to uh, chat to my old mate, Alex. How you doing, guys, anyway? Good. Good, good, good. How are you? Very good. Oh, good, mate. I'm lying back. Beautiful sunny morning here. It's supposed to be winter, but it's more like spring and it's absolutely uh. sunny. I've, I've fed the chickens. I've put the goats in the field, you know. All's good with the world. So why, yeah, are you, why are you in I, northern Italy? Why do you live there? Well, I, you know, I've been living in London for about 27 years. You know, in London, like, Sydney sort of became just ridiculously expensive. I mean, there's absolutely no way you, you could end up owning anything, you know. And so um, we found out about this area, which is called Liguria, uh, through a friend of ours, and we came, my, my wife and I came over and drove around and we found a place and we really liked it and we bought it. And then um, last year we found this other place, which is more up in the mountains, and we got a lot of land 
and stuff. And uh, we sort of sold the house in the town and moved up here to a village with seven people in it. So you're not getting too big a crowds at gigs, I guess, Alex, with only seven there. You'd need to get the entire population. Well, to... you know, I, <laughs> I think I've peaked, yeah. <laughs> um, it, so Al... Well, I, I know seven's probably more than you've been getting lately. You know, oh, daddy. <laughs> well done. Um, so you've been feeding the chooks every day, have you? <laughs> Well, someone's got to, you know. I think I, <laughs> I, 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 I enough, I, you know, I, I produce, I produce enough um, stuff out of my mouth to feed chooks, you know. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, tell us about, because when you were in London, weren't you doing sort of musical <laughs> things with um, handicapped people or something? Special Is needs kids. No, I was, I was, I was working with, I was working with children with, profound and multiple learning difficulties, which ranged from everything from profound autism to Down syndrome to uh, behavioural difficulties, all sorts of genetic um, problems. Uh, kids who couldn't exist in a, in a mainstream school in any way, shape or form for a variety of reasons, whether they be behavioural or medical or whatever, it was only a very small school about, you know, we averaged between 50 and 70 kids on two sites um, because of the, uh, the the nature of the kids' problems. Um, and I was working as a facilitator that is using music and little drama games and things to help these kids come to grasp communication and trust. Mm. And uh, I did that for about 15 years. Wow. And then I was working as a, as a consultant for schools and uh, parents groups and stuff, showing, showing people how to, how, how to approach this thing, you know. Well, that's a very noble thing to do. Um, we were talking this well, morning. It didn't, well, it wasn't a, I don't think it was a thing about nobility or anything. It was just something that I, I fell into and it, and it happened it, – it, I, I believe that a lot of the practice that I saw going on in the schools and the classrooms was kind of fundamentally wrong um, because you're mm. expecting people to, you know, there were too much expectations of behaviours based around normal behaviours instead of saying, okay, let's meet this kid at the place he's at now and then work forward from there, you know, and it, it just a lot of what I found I, it just struck me as wrong, and I just started myself and the guy I was working with. We just started our own way of working, and we ended up going all over the country, sort of lecturing in it and running workshops and showing people just different ways and means of approaching children and young adults with, you know, vast communication difficulties. That's really great. We we were talking to Swanee a um, couple of weeks ago, and. He spends a lot of his time these days going to play guitar for people in palliative care. Yeah. It's really great. It's really great when, you know, people like yourself and Swanee, they do things that are really good for the community and, and help things because, you know, you're one of the biggest rock stars but I mean, in the, the country. The point is the music you're is... Just, you're humble. Well, the other thing is that one of the things that people lose, I mean, people in palliative care, people who've maybe never known what trust is, 
you know, mm. trust sort of goes out the window, trust and comfort. And when music is something that I think helps instill that, you know, you know what it's like, you stand in front of a crowd of 10,000 strangers and suddenly you become one. You, you, you develop a bond of trust between you. You know, and the guy up the back's waving his arms and singing as much as the person in the front row. You know what I mean? I'm only not that you've ever played to ten thousand people, but you know. <laughs> no, I've only got your village coming to see me with the seven people. But um, <laughs> no, I know what you mean. It's um, it's exactly right, and it's probably no better feeling. Um, or it's probably one better feeling, but that's well, I, that's a pretty it's good. The feeling. only feeling I've sort of had in my professional life. You know, I used to finish a day's work and feel like I'd done a really great gig. You know, yeah, yeah. you had that same, yeah. you had that same feeling of accomplishment, that feeling of, wow, this thing that I do, this music thing, is really great. You know, and it's making people happy. Yeah, or just feel good. You know, for just that short period of time. You know, I think that's one of the best things we do as musicians is that we can take people's minds off their problems for maybe you know, an hour and a half or whatever we play for. But um, that's, you know, it's a satisfying thing, I think, you know, because, um, you know, you know we obviously we get rewarded with applause and we get paid, but um, to make people happy and take their minds <laughs> off things, you know, <laughs> and get paid, well, you know. Explain this pay thing. <laughs> hey, Alex, are you playing much now? Are you doing much? I know you at one stage you had a little blues band I going. Haven't, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't played live for about two years now, mate, because, I mean, I was in Australia and Moving Pictures had just started. We just started our 40th anniversary tour and we um, had done about four gigs when COVID slammed and shut everything down. I was supposed to be in Australia for six weeks for the first part of the tour, and I ended up being stuck there for six months, sort of like sleeping on people's floors and stuff like that, you know, yeah. and then got a got a window of escape and managed to get back home here to my wife. And uh, I've just sort of been here in, in Italy since that time, um, you know, and, I mean, it's been great. I mean, we've managed <laughs> we've, we've certainly renovated the house a lot, you know what I mean? Um Learned a lot about plastering and wiring and stuff. I was talking to my manager about this, and you know, I kind of like I'm kind of scared to come back out to Australia until, I mean, what's what's to say I don't get out there and it doesn't all shut down and I'm stuck there again? Yeah, you know? you're always welcome to come and sing with um, me and Scott and Dale from Boom Crash and you know Wilbur Wild and all that. You're always welcome to do that. Yeah, well, you're, you you're lucky. Here. I mean, you've got some you've got some real people with you, which helps. But, yeah. yeah, it's great. <laughs> How's your Italian? Sorry, How's my, my Italian's woeful. Um, <laughs> I don't have the brain for it. I mean, I can go shopping and stuff like that, but, you know, but uh, my conversational Italian is absolutely shocking. I got a, a mate who comes up twice a week to try and help me, but I feel sorry for him. My wife's Italian is really good, but mine is absolutely execrable. Give I mean, you know, she's flu she's she's fluent, I'm effluent, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Give us an example of your Italian, Alex. Okay. Uh come stai mio amico Brian. Ah, ciao bella. <laughs> ciao bella. You okay? That's good. 
Actually, it should be Bello because I'm male. Oh, yeah. I, I normally talk to my mate Bartolo Zagami's mum and he gives me a couple of Italian words and then I'm talking to her in the yeah. retirement home saying, you know, ciao, come star, ciao, bella, and all that sort of stuff. And then, she, but she thinks I can speak Italian and she yeah. just starts speaking yeah. Italian at me and I'm going, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. Sorry, enough about I mean, I think, I think I'm lucky because I get away with C, grazie. Yeah. Ciao yeah. and Carlo. So, you know, that, yeah. you, if you throw those into a conversation, people think you understand what you're talking about. <laughs> but I'm pretty useless. My, my brain's just not wired for it, you know. Yeah. Are you yeah. writing? Are you writing much? Uh, I go through periods where I write a lot. Um, it's just, I don't know, I guess, like, you know, I read a lot of what's going on in you know, message a lot of people on Facebook and stuff like that. That's how I keep in contact with everybody, you know. But it's, um, you know, I think there's a lot of depression in the industry and uh, I sort of, you know, sit down and I'll start working on a few ideas and then I'll just sort of go, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, I kind of, I kind of, I'm kind of sort of really disappointed with the whole direction of the industry. The fact that, you know, streaming has destroyed our livelihood and yeah. all that kind of stuff. It really annoyed. I was proud of my craft, you know, yep. proud of the fact that I'd made a living my whole life as a writer and a musician and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, a while ago I got sent um, a royalty statement from a series of projects I'd done. Uh, which was pages and pages and pages and pages, thousands of downloads, and I made one dollar fifty-eight. Oh, yeah! If you get a million downloads on or listens on Spotify, you get a thousand bucks. Like that's well, just that's, criminal. That's the famous, the famous Peter Frampton. Peter Frampton sitting in front of uh, Senate, a Senate inquiry in America about God. all this, and he said, "Look, you know, do you feel like I do? Got forty-two million streams." I made $12,000. Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. I've got to ask you, because um, Glenn Wheatley managed moving pictures, didn't he? And um, how did you no, feel? No, he never managed. Glenn, Glenn was not our manager. He, he ran the label. He signed us to his label. Oh, we were the first okay. act. We were the first act signed to Wheatley Records. But, I mean, you know, none of us are getting any younger, mate. You know, we've lost Michael. Now, Glenn, yeah. you know, um, we just got to make the best of what we do. I'm standing here at the moment looking at the mountains and blue sky and my wife is just about to destroy our goat yard accidentally. <laughs> and uh, she's trying to smash up an old wine cask, uh, wine barrel. And she rolled it down the hill. Hang on, I'm just going to yell at it. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw what you were doing. Great, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> now she's swearing at me. Fair okay. enough. Well, probably in yeah. Italian, so you probably don't know. Hey, w w when did you become the land and gentry sort of type? I mean, weren't you a sort of inner city kid? I'm always been a city kid, but when we, you know, and when we lived in London, we lived pretty you know, twenty minutes walk from the centre of London, and. All that kind of stuff, but I mean, my wife's a sculptor, and we need space and land, and we like animals and all that kind of stuff. We've got two dogs, two cats, 
15 chickens, a rooster, three goats. Uh, we're getting sheep and, and donkeys and we're just enjoying being out here. And, you know, we've got, we haven't got a large amount of land, but it's, you know, it's just, it's probably about five or six acres and about an acre of woodland and we're just happy as Larry, you know. Yeah. You remember Larry? Larry, Larry was my manager, and I don't know anybody's as happy as him. He freaking got a lot of money out of me, I tell you what. <laughs> yeah, nobody's yeah, as happy I think, as Larry. I think I remember Larry. Yeah, yeah, yeah you would. You remember, you remember, you remember the, that bizarre week we were, we were in Perth together, the week that um, oh. so Australia won the America's Cup? Yeah, wasn't it fun? Yeah. Um, you guys had just, I think, that, gone through the roof with What About Me and we had a song out called Time Goes So Fast, which was getting airplay in Sydney, but we were stuck in Perth. And our promoter, Kev, this is this is X-Men genius, well, the promoter's genius, he said, look, we should have a barbecue and we'll invite moving pictures over. And we said, yeah, okay. At we'll the White Sands Hotel, yeah. Yeah. And then the promoter said, I'll ring up the local modelling agency and get all the models to come over. Oh, God. So moving pictures come over and there's all these glamorous-looking girls and it was it was the start of a beautiful friendship. It was um, – what a great – It was. I remember, I, remember, I remember Cookie jumping off. There was these outside steps yeah. near the pool and Cookie jumping off about the third or fourth landing into the pool and nearly all the water leaving the pool. <laughs> Cookie was a big bloke. He was huge. He was a remember, big bloke, yeah. Do you remember, um, I think it was at the Red Parrot or something, and Neil Brooks, the swimmer, had a band. And yes. we were there, and then suddenly, you know, I think Ronnie got up, and then I got up, and then you got up, and all of these from players from ever, we basically took over the stage and we were playing Johnny Be Good and Neil Brooks didn't know what the words were. I remember him, you, you and I standing with him later, right? And he goes, yeah. and, you know, we're so short and he's so bloody tall, right? Yeah. And he's going, hey, I'm, I'm quite new to this being in a band thing. And we're like, yeah, yeah. And he <laughs> Have you noticed that the moment you start singing in a band, all the girls want to jump on your nuts? <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, it was just, he was a sweetheart, you know. Yeah, he was a nice guy. He had no idea what he was doing. He just used to open and shut his mouth and the sound came out. But it was great, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, no, we had, that was a really fun time. And we had good fun too in um, 2006 on the Countdown Spectacular when oh, yeah. you might. Yeah, you yeah, reminded we'll, everybody we'll, we'll, how we'll, we'll, about me should be sung, <laughs> mate. It was just a, that was one of the that was a really really fun trip. I think yeah, everybody uh, everybody had a great time, you know. And um, you and me, you and me and Wilbur nearly got kicked off, but that's all yeah. right. Yeah, I had the call from Gadinsky about the drinking backstage because there was people who were alcoholics on the tour. So it was no alcohol yeah. backstage. But the funny thing was that the reason they were alcoholics is because premier artists had organised <laughs> for them to have a drink rider at every gig. And that's right. You know, the the was, cause yeah. of the alcoholism and, and was get, actually by Mike, the industry. Mike, Michael, was, Michael was walking around with a flunky behind him carrying his bottle of red wine for him, telling <laughs> everybody else off. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you, me and Wilbur copped it the most, but um, we had... 
There's sort of you, me, Wilbur, Scotty, um, and Mark Gable. God, he's off the drink. He's just as naughty without the drink. So God knows what he was like. I know. On the well, drink. I mean, I, 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 I basically gave. I haven't had a drink for fifteen, sixteen years now. I've been, um, you know, I sort of came to terms with my problem and stopped. But Mark and I talk all the time, and you know. But I mean, the friendships that came out of a lot of that. I've yeah. just remained, you know. I think we were just – we had to – you know, I, I really dips my lid to, to Michael for that one because that was funny, you know. Oh, it was so it well was re- It was very well run and it was it was, it was was a great time. I mean, yeah, I, I see JP – whenever I'm in Australia, I try and have a lunch with JPY and we just laugh about that trip, you know, the whole time. Yeah. No, that was probably one of the best tours I've ever been on because – you're just hanging around with all these people that you you know you know and you like and um, you know people that you didn't know. And you all, got to also, know. some the thing I thought that was really funny was like I'd never really had a chance to hang out with Sean Kelly before, oh, right? Yeah. And by the end of it, we're like, oh god, I really love this guy. He is yeah. so funny, you know. And um, it was just it was just a great time. And and then you stay in touch. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. Everything, everything was funny. Um, you know? Brian, who was it on that tour sure. that you used to follow that used to tell you try and follow that? Who was that? Was that Frankie or was that JPY? Oh, Frankie Holland had come on. He, he was on 8th and I was on ninth, And so him and Will would walk off and Frankie J Holden would just every night go, try and follow that, you fuckwit. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> it was very funny. Yeah. What, what about when J, what about when JPY dressed up as a girl and got on stage with Leo? Ah, oh, forgot about that. Yeah, Leo's sitting there. My doing God, the, the with makeup, the makeup artist, did, the makeup artist did this job on John Paul Young, right? The wig was perfect, the makeup was perfect, and Leo used to do this thing uh, when he used to sing one of his big love songs, and he'd he'd bring a girl up out of the stage, but this night. This figure comes walking out of the out of the darkness and sits down, and it took Leo about I don't know three or four minutes to realise it was JPY, huh. and it was just one of the funniest moments of my life. You know, the look on Leo's face. Yeah. He had the little black mini. Or Joe Dolce proposing to Molly. That was pretty good. Sorry, Joe Dolce proposing to Molly. Yeah, on stage. Yeah. Molly, will you marry me? <laughs> Goodness gracious me. And there was no drink backstage. Bloody hell, it would have been wild as buggery if there'd been drink backstage. Well, there were, two, there, were, there were two dressing rooms. There was the good boys' dressing room and the bad boys' dressing room. Yeah, guess which one we were in. <laughs> <laughs> we were in, the, we were in yeah. the noughties, the naughty gang. Yeah. And um, there was the sort of the But we laughed. I mean, God, we... There were some. There were just some great people among you know. I really miss. I really miss uh, Jinglish. You know, um, he was uh, John English was just one of the greatest things on that tour. You know, he just as as a human being, just to hang with and yeah, you know, and and he support. The thing about John was, you know, he never had a bad word to say about anybody, and he supported everybody. You know, and he used to go out and stand there and watch everybody else. 
No, he had a few bad words about you, Alex, when you weren't around. I, 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 I just tried <laughs> to tell him to stop. Stop. Yeah, but they're only bad words. You, ta- you, you taught him, though. <laughs> I taught him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know. Let's face it. You taught you. You taught John English everything he knows. <laughs> um, yeah, look, there's a lot of people. He, he, he looked up to you. Well, now, let me rephrase that. Yes. Well, yes. Brian, I had this flashback the other day. The yeah. Tivoli in Sydney, movie pictures were playing, and you're in town, and you turned up, and we we're standing in one of the rooms, and somebody said, Hey, which of you two is taller? Right? So we were standing <laughs> back to back, right? And at that moment, yeah. Rob Riley, the beast. <laughs> the, the legendary Rob Riley, yeah. The legendary beast. And he just stands and he says, look at that. They almost make a whole person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, he's oh. a great guy, Rob. Yeah. yeah. So what does the future hold, Al? Well, mate, I, yeah, I've been asked that so many times in the last couple of months, you know. And the thing is, I don't... I don't have a crystal ball. I don't think anybody does. I don't know what's happening, no. you know. We've put off tour about six times now, you know. Uh, people yes. are come and gone. I'd love to get back out and play, but I need um, some forms of security, not just financial. I just need to know that it's, that it's tenable, that, you know, I can go, yeah. I can come back, I can, you know, I can be at ease while I'm there. When I was out there, I recorded an album at a friend of mine's place. But, you know, as to whether that's ever finished and made, um, as to whether Moving Pictures will ever tour again or not, who who knows, mate? You know, it's just, um, it's all in the wind. I mean, I'd love to come come and do shows. If I was was there, I'd be doing your shows as as many times as you'd have me. But I'm not. Every time. Every time. You know, a great load of idiots there, Sterry and all those guys. <laughs> Ali Fowler. Sterry's and, uh, mad as a... <laughs> He's a lovely bloke, David. He's a terrific guy. And um, he's looking terrific, actually. We worked with him the other week and um, he's given up the grog for the time being and uh, he's lost a lot of weight and he just looked like a rock god. He looked terrific. I was really impressed with him and I told him as such. And then I told oh, I don't you, want to say. No, there's only room for one love god at a time in my house. Are you um, are you looking like a rock god these days, Alex, or what? Or do you look well, like a northern uh, in, well, northern well, Italian I'm, farmer? You know, I'm about I'm about 26 stone and bald. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you are not. <laughs> uh, hey, I want to be indulgent for one minute, and I want to say thank you. I never said this to you, Alex. I wanted to say thank you. You were my first interview. When I came to Melbourne to join 3XY and do Drive on 3XY, I was shitting myself. No, I remember, I remember, I remember your days on 3XY. Yeah, yeah, I was shitting myself. And my first week of Drive, um, they, they made me do a midnight to dawn on the Sunday morning, then I started on Drive on the Monday. And the first interview I did was on that Monday afternoon and I'd been doing breakfast radio in Brisbane and I hadn't done any interviews for such a long time. They said, oh, you got an interview at four o'clock. And I said, oh, shit, who have I got? And they said, it's Alex Smith from Moving Pictures. And I went, holy shit. Um, They're the hottest band in the country at the moment and you're bringing him in. Jesus. And you were so nice to me. You knew I was shitting myself because it was my first shift on XY, but you were were really nice to me. And it was actually a good interview. We played Bustin' Loose and What About Me and it it went well. So I, I always wanted to thank you for that. No, I see. I, I think there was a period in our time, you know, 
Brian would probably agree with me. We we lived through a period of grace, you know, mm. where every part of the industry looked after every other part of the industry. Mm. Yeah. And you know, we we you know when when I first started touring, you know, you used to be driving through miles and miles and miles of Australian countryside, and you'd pop into every tiny little country radio station, you know. Some of them only yeah. the size of a brick shit out. Yep. But you'd get in there and you'd talk to the guy there, you know, and you'd say, well, tonight we're playing at the Royal at Taree. Why don't you come along, you know? Yeah. And the guy would play your your thing. and and the, But then you'd go to the big city, you know, you'd go down to Melbourne and, you, and you'd go to 3XY or Triple R or you'd do one of the, the, the university radio stations or something and say, oh, tonight we're at the Armadale, you know, come on down. And people would, yeah, you know, and it worked both a, ways. And I think, you know, we were also lucky in the television programs. We had everything from countdown sounds to night moves and things like that, where the people there, the the the, the Mollies, the Lee Simons, the Donnies, and people were involved and they cared. Part of the problem with what's happened with to me, right? With the entire music industry, with this fact that you know our our songs and everything are worth nothing monetarily now, is that it just yep. cheapened the whole art. It's just everything's become cheapened and lessened. But once upon a time, we had an industry in which, you know, for some somehow or other, for a group of you know people as as mad as we all were, it, it moved with the with the precision of a Swiss watch. You know, music just doesn't have the currency now that it used to because people used to pay for music and now it seems it's like everybody just thinks it's their God-given right to be able to listen to anything for bugger all money. Yeah, I have, and, people, um, I have people say to me without a hint of irony, you know, oh, I downloaded your album the other day, you know, yeah. from, from like a free site and I'm like, gee, great. Thank you. <laughs> and you're you're yeah, supposed I'm, to be eternally grateful that they did that. Oh, with a magnanimous gesture on their behalf. At least I'm listening yeah, to it. But I mean, you know, but there was a time when we would do things like say we would we'd go back we would have been on the road for months and then we'd go back to Sydney and we would be in Sydney for two weeks, but we'd play every night for two weeks. And you'd yep. see the same people in the crowd every night, but you know what I mean? It was yep. and you go to we'd go to Melbourne. And we used to feel like we lived in Melbourne. Some people thought we were from Melbourne because mm. we were there so much. And you'd see the same people and you'd do the gigs and then you'd get up, you know. I mean, Brian, you know what this is like as the front guy. Um, everybody else gets to sleep in in the morning, but we've got to get yeah. up and do the breakfast radio and television. Yeah, and and sometimes if you've got a new and, single and, up, and you would. You might be there for but it nine would. hours doing interviews with everybody. Yes, exactly. And, um, and then you've got to go and do the gig and then, yeah, yeah. No, look, so you know, you know, somebody had dropped me at the sound check and everybody go, where have you been? I go, I've been doing press all day. What would you do? Oh, I went and played squash. <laughs> I went and had a swim. <laughs> uh, and it's like, gee, okay. Well done. <laughs> oh, the, the, the first time I saw you on Countdown, Alex, um, you came on. You played "What About Me," and I think it was one of the most amazing performances on Countdown. Maybe, probably because half of the song and you performed it so well. But it was like at the start of the song, it was like, "Who's moving pictures? Who are they? What's this about?" 
And by the end of the song, you were stars. It was just, it just turned around so quick when people heard that song and saw you perform on Candy. I reckon it's one of the most. Um, Wasn't that Adam Ant? Life changing, life changing. Yeah, that, that, um, that was the night Adam Ant was ever on Countdown. But what, what actually, what changed was the night after the Countdown, after we did bust it on Countdown, we were playing the Sandringham Commodore, right? Right. And we're driving along in these cars. We'd done the sound check. We'd gone back to the hotel to get, you know. Get pissed. Our superstar clobber on. <laughs> and we're driving back down the road. And I remember Frank Savala was in the car with us, right? And we suddenly started seeing this line of people. Yeah. And the line of people went on for like half a mile. And Frank just yeah. turned around and he said, guys, I think you've cracked Melbourne. <laughs> so that was well, you Countdown, didn't... you know? That was yeah. The power of Countdown. Countdown. Countdown was great for all of us. And um, you did more than crack Melbourne. You, you cracked Australia and, you know, you know, everybody says Farnham's you know, the greatest singer Australia's ever had. I don't know. I reckon you're right up there with him. Uh, the vocal And the vocal performance on What About Me, that was just a guide track, wasn't it, that you just did while so they well, could it was, play along? Well, it was, it was the thing. It. It, was about two, we were, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. We were at the old CMI Studio 301 in Castle Ray Street in Sydney. And uh, I'd sort of been sitting there and I'd done a couple of guide vocal things and then they wanted to track some strings, some ARP string synthesizer stuff on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Charles Charles Fisher said, "Oh look, Alex, can you go out? We'll, we'll need some dynamic bits in this for the string arrangements." And I went, "Okay." And I said, "Do you mind?" And I said to him and Gary, because Gary was the writer, I said, "Do you mind if I take a few liberties with this?" And they said, "Oh no, no, we're not keeping it. It's just a guide track." Uh-huh. But I'd been thinking about this for a while and how I wanted to do it, and I did it, and they went, I think that's a keeper. <laughs> and it was only done on a 58 too, an SM58, wow, which I just really? set up. For those yeah. that, our listeners that don't know what an SM58 is, it's not a studio. It's the mic you use live, but in a studio you normally use a valve mic, which it's gives the rock you a sound. <laughs> yeah, it's a rock workhorse. It's exactly right, yeah. Wow, I didn't know it was down on um, fifty eight. That's that's I think, amazing. I think I dropped. I think I dropped one word in, but uh, Fuck. and then that you know, <laughs> the rest the rest has just become hysterical. You know. Oh wow! But that song, it... you know, I mean, I'm I'm really really proud of that song. I'm proud of the performance. I'm proud of what you know the guys did. I'm proud of Gary. Yeah, it's it's there. You know, it, it, it's it's enshrined in whatever. Uh, sometimes I think, God, has it really been over forty years? Kind of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's an Australian classic, mate. It's a, uh, it's a beauty, and. Um, but I mean, I, I, yeah, I think Australia's produced a lot of the people who I regard as my favourite singers of all time. You know, the Jeffs and Johns, the Doug Parkinsons, the, oh, yeah. the Broderick Smiths. You know, the the people that, to me, rank as high as anybody else in the world. I used to rack off school to get it, to get across Sydney to be where the dingoes were playing, you know, because I just they they were my favourite band, you know. I remember once I split ends did some reunion show at, at the venue in, in Melbourne, yeah, oh, and yeah. I missed. I kind of 
arrived really, really late because we'd had our own gig to do and turned up and I was walking around the top and Michael Gadinsky turned around and said, Alex, 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 this has been really successful. I said, great, Michael. He said, who should we, who should we be the next one? And I just went, Carson. And he went, genius! (laughs) 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 I I miss Michael just being in this world. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He was a one-off, mate. He yeah. was a one-off. Absolutely. Yeah, he was. I've had, I've had some of the funniest times of my life and some of the biggest arguments of my life with that man, you know? Love yeah. him dearly. Yes. Yeah. No, su- no surprise on either front there, Alex, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mate, it's been terrific catching up with you. We'll Love let that. you go and tend the goats and the sheep and the chickens and the – no, you haven't got sheep yet. You're getting sheep. Getting sheep, yeah. Yeah, uh, the goats and the chickens, then, uh, and the uh, and the beautiful sculptor's wife needs probably needs to be pulled, picked up from the bottom yeah, of the paddock. Everybody should look up. Everybody, everybody should look up Sophie Dickens' sculpture. Sophie okay. Dickens, we'll do that. We will. Sophie Dickens' sculpture. Sculpture. All our listeners yep. will be checking that out. Yep. Sculpture. Okay. Yep. Or sculptor. All right. Okay. Good on you, mate. Thanks for your time. We really appreciate okay, Brian, it. All right, Brian, you can take the wig off now and um, <laughs> now just relax. <laughs> and Kevin, take the girdle off. it's been really great catching up with you, mate. Good on you, mate. Thanks for that. Really appreciate okay. it. See you later, Australia. Take care. Thank you, Alex. Right, You're mate. a genius. Nobody's changed, nobody's been saved 
You heard the uh, the story behind the vocal performance and where it was recorded and uh, what happened and how it was, well, not quite the vocal guide track but certainly done on a microphone that wasn't the microphone they're going to do it on and uh, that's an amazing story. What an amazing vocal. He's got a great voice, hasn't he? He has got a ripper voice and um, a lot of people probably don't know but Shannon Noel, of course, had the, had a hit with it, you know, years later when he came about. Yep. But Sh- Shannon's version's about four or five tones lower than Alex's because Alex can sing really high. But, um, yeah, Alex is – look, I love Shannon Noel. He's a great guy and, that, and he does a good version of it, but pretty hard to beat Alex's version. Yeah, you can do a good version of that song because it is a very, very good song, but yeah. you, you cannot beat that original. And I, I remember the first time I saw the film clip of that and the first time I saw him do it on Countdown, as you, you mentioned during the interview, and you just went, wow. Yeah. You just knew it was a smash hit. Yeah, they, they went on to that show and nobody knew who they were by the end of it. They were big stars. Yeah, absolutely. And we thank him for his time. We wish him the best and we hope he does get back to Australia soon to be able to play some shows with you and, and Scott and the boys maybe if that uh, if that happens or to get moving pictures back on uh, on the road again and get him uh, back in front of Australian audiences because he is a, a very, very good uh, singer and performer. Yes, he's great to watch and, um, and you know, he's great to hang around with. Yeah, he's really, clearly. He's really, he's really <laughs> fun. Yeah, he's fun. Yeah. Clearly. You short blacks, you're a pro. You can, you can be mischief uh, personified, you two. Yeah, well, you, well, you want to see us, we get some undies on our heads. Exactly. Off we go. We go berserk. All right, go. it's time for our, our segment. I love that song. Love it. I love it. And this song is Brandy, You're a Fine Girl. Number one hit in the uh, in the early 1970s for Looking Glass all over the world, and particularly here in Australia, it was very successful. So uh, we tracked down the man who wrote it and who sang it, and he joins us now, Elliot Lurie, here on uh, The Life of Brian. Hey, thank you so much for talking to us. We wanted to talk to you about this song, which, uh, you know, now is 50 years old, but is just, you know, one of those songs when you play it and goes, I love that song. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the 50th anniversary of it is coming up this summer. And uh, I don't know whether you guys are aware of this, but really um, Australia is the only other country beside the U.S. where it was a big hit at the time. I think it's known around the world by now, but uh, Australia was on board at the beginning. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, a big hit was- in England, was it? It only got sort of like mid-50s or 60s or something in England? As far as I know, at the time it was initially released, it was just a hit in the United States and in Australia. Wow. I didn't know that. You guys are ahead of your time. 
<laughs> we sure were. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, what inspired you to write that song? Because it's a, it's a great lyric. It's a really good story. So what was the inspiration for that? I just made it up. <laughs> well, pretty good story. <laughs> Haven't a lot of people tried to kind of uh, turn it into something that it actually isn't? Uh, in what way do you mean that? Well, in terms of people have said it was inspired by, you know, a, a, a Spanish the story that, that dates back decades and decades type type sort of routine? I, I haven't heard that one. I, there was a thing going around for a while here. The band that recorded it got together at university uh, in a town called New Brunswick, New Jersey. And apparently there is a woman uh, buried there whose story was that she uh, pined away for a sailor all her life and then uh, died uh, died loaning. And there's, there's something about her grave marker, which they said inspired the story, but that is not true. But that, that's the only... Uh, and that that's the only uh, story I've heard uh, that has been you know that has been preferred as a third party inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, when it started, it wasn't it wasn't Brandy, was it? The original lyric that you were playing around with wasn't Brandy. No, I had a uh, I had a high school girlfriend whose name was Randy with an R, and I had started just strumming some chords and you know, free free associating lyrics and I was repeating her name and when the story came together about the barmaid and all, I said, well, first of all, Randy is kind of an ambiguous name. It could be male or female and if she's a barmaid, she should be Brandy. So there you have it. It was an easy change. Yeah, what sort of music influenced you as, as a writer, Elliot? Uh, you know, I... I was one of those kids who grew up on Top 40 radio. I was one of those kids that you hear about from the 50s and 60s who always had the transistor radio tuned to pop radio under his pillow at night. And um, I just loved listening to Top 40 radio. Uh, later on, listened to some other things that were, you know, not necessarily on Top 40 that might have been more folk-influenced. And we also had a great R&B station that we used to be able to pick up in, in uh, where I grew up in, in New York, uh, out of Newark, New Jersey, and uh, listened to a lot of that as well. Elliot, was it, was it a melody that had been in your head for a long time? Because it's, I mean, it's so, it, it once it's in your head, it stays there now these days, but was it one that was had been hanging around with you for a while? No, you know, with the way I write, is I usually strum some chords and I find a progression that I like and then I put the melody over it. So the way I write, which I wish I could do it otherwise, really, but uh, the way I write, the chord progression comes first and then the melody is, is applied to that. So uh, I wish I could be more of a melodist, but I'm not. Well, it's a pretty good melody. Oh, you know, Rick, it's a great wow. melody. Did yeah. you know when you wrote it that it was that there was something special about it? I wouldn't say I knew when I wrote it, but I knew them when we first exposed it to people uh, with the band that everyone seemed to latch on to that song uh, from our repertoire is, is the one that, that really stood out. So uh, that feedback made me start thinking that it might be something special. 
Yeah. Having it used in Guardians of the Galaxy was uh, a bit of a coup because it introduced the song to a whole new generation and um, and I thought it was so cool seeing this spaceship travelling around in space and Brandy's playing, they're playing Brandy full ball loud. It was really cool. Did you, did you see the movie? Uh, of course I saw the movie. The thing that was great about it was I had seen the first one and it's not the kind of movie that I would usually go to watch, but I had heard so many great things about it. I happened to have a DVD of it, and I put it on. And I loved the movie, and I loved the way James Gunn, the director, used the 70s songs. And I was actually a little bit disappointed that he hadn't used Brandy in the first one. And then about a year and a half later, I got an, uh, an email from my publisher saying uh, they'd like to use your song in the uh, sequel. Right. And I said, you know, I said, fantastic. But then they sent me uh, script pages. And when I read the script pages, I said, wow, this is not just a, a background cue. This is part of the storyline, the way they're using the song. So, yeah. um, you know, and each, each reveal got more and more exciting. First I saw the script pages, then towards the very end of post-production, they sent me uh, clips of how it was going to be used in the movie. <laughs> and when you see Kurt Russell as an interstellar planet being saying that your song is one of Earth's greatest compositions, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty cool spin, i got to tell you. Yeah. Has it been used in other movies as well? Oh, yeah, it's been used in a ton of movies. Uh, it was uh, most recently, it was in a movie called Black Clansman that Spike Lee did. Oh, yeah. uh, it's been used in The Simpsons. Uh, it's it's been used in quite a few movies. Can I ask you about the Simpsons? Because it's 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 one of those sisters, isn't it? Singing it to yeah, in, in, a, in Marge, a Marge, I think. Yeah. yeah, singing it to Lisa is a bedtime story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which so, is which is kind of bizarre. You know, I had a second career uh, as a music supervisor uh, here in LA, and then for quite a long time as. Uh, the music executive at 20th Century Fox Studios. I was there for about 10 years. And Fox produced the the Simpsons show. Uh, matter of fact, it started when I was there. And I was, you know, I was friendly and got to work with the producers and the writers for The Simpsons. And I think they just kind of thought it would be cool to use Elliot's song <laughs> in an episode. Okay. And uh, they got a kick out of it. It's, it's amazing what it has been used in. I mean, you mentioned the Spike Lee film. It, it bobbed up in Ozark, which is a terrific series that Netflix have got running around at the moment with uh, Jason Bateman. It's yeah. been in The Wire. I mean, it's been – The Wire is like a, a you know, cutting-edge police drama. It's been in a, a very Brady sequel. It's a song that kind of you can oh. put in anywhere and it fits. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's been, it's been used, it's, it's because it's, as you say, you know, it's, it's fortunately become a cross-generational song. So, you know, I, I, re I remember, you know, when it first came out, people would come up to me and say, man, that's my favorite song. And then about 20 years later, they would come up to me and say, man, that's my mom's favorite song. <laughs> and they'd come up to me and they say, hey, that's my grandma's favorite song. <laughs> so, you know, it, 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 it hangs around that way. So it's good in movies because people can, a lot of people can recognize it. What about when someone like Paul Stanley says that it was the inspiration for one of Kiss's biggest songs? 
Yeah, I, I heard that. I, I heard the song. I didn't really hear the connection that directly, but I, I'm glad it gave him uh, some inspiration. It's funny, he must have lived near me because I was uh, up at our local uh, shopping center the other day, and I, I noticed him uh, walking there, and I've never met him. And I thought, you know, I, I should have gone up and introduced myself since he said he wrote a song based on my song. Yeah. Uh, he probably would have been as glad to meet me as I would have been to meet him, but I, I was too shy to do it. Which was a bigger thrill, Guardians of the Galaxy or The Simpsons? I'd be I'd be hard-pushed to know which one I'd be more proud of. I think they're both terrific. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty much apples and oranges. I mean, the one in, the, the one in uh, Guardians was fantastic because not only did they use it uh, so prominently, but as you say, it really opened up the audience to, uh, it opened up the song to a new audience. And, you know, I can see that reflected in the, uh, in the amount of attention it gets on, you know, the streaming services and all. It's, uh, it's kids who certainly weren't born when it first came out. Yeah, that was a, a very fortunate thing. Elliot, you mentioned that, you know, people come up to you and say, it's my mum's favourite song, it's my grandma's favourite song. What's the kind of most touching thing that anyone said to you about Brandy as a song? I got to tell you, you know, I, I have a YouTube channel, which uh, all your listeners are welcome to check out. And there's a video up there of it. And a woman whom I've never met commented that her late husband, who had recently passed away, her name was Sandy, and he used to sing it to her every morning and say, Sandy, you're a fine girl, etc." And that touched me. But what really touched me more was the responses to that comment. I mean, if you, if you look at it, there's like pages and pages and pages of people uh, consoling her. And, and, you know, the fact that it, it can set up that kind of third-party communication and meant that much to that woman and then get so much response from total strangers – that was, that was a really good feeling for me. Yeah, absolutely. There was a, did anyone ever talk to you about using the story and actually making it into a movie or doing something like that with oh, it? Yeah. There have been requests for that. In fact, there are a couple of books out uh, which are based right on it. And apparently, as my attorneys tell me, uh, you're allowed to do that without anyone's permission because it's an adapted uh, adaptation of an existing idea. But, yeah, there have been a number of books uh there was a couple of screenplays. I don't think they ever got made, but yes, it's it's been uh, it's been talked about. And as I say, there are a few books out. Yeah, we mentioned what, what it's been used in. What, what about what about the cover versions that have been done over the years? What have you thought of some of those? Because there's been everyone from the Ray Conniff singers to the Red Hot Chili Peppers have done it. I like the Chili Peppers version. Because it reminds me of what the band Looking Glass sounded like when they were a good bar band. You know, there's no horns, there's no... So so it reminds me of that. And Kenny Chesney did a version that I like very much. It's pretty faithful to the original, but it has a little bit of his kind of island lilt to it. So I like that one quite a lot. And uh, again, uh, a little shameless self-promotion... If you haven't heard the acapella version that I did recently, have you heard that? Yeah, it's good. It's great. I like it. I like the way that came out a lot. Yeah. yeah. On the other side of that, Elliot, have you heard a version of it that you absolutely loathed? I absolutely loathed. <laughs> I'm not real fond of the Ray Conniff version. <laughs> 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 that, that didn't knock on the socks off, no. <laughs> 
Okay. What, what was the pressure like on you as a songwriter? I mean, Jimmy Loves Maryam was the, was kind of the, the next one that got played on the radio a lot. What was the pressure on you like to come up with, hey, Elliot, can you write another Brandy for us? Yeah, it was difficult because the song was such a big hit. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Loves Marianne was a marginal hit during the States, but nothing close to the success of Brandy. Um, you know, it was it was a little frustrating. I, in a way, I think the record was, was so big that it was, you know, difficult to duplicate. But on the other hand, other people have had big hits and they've managed to have more big hits after it. So maybe, um, you know, just didn't, just didn't succeed at, uh, at matching it. In your wildest dreams, well, did you think fifty years later you'd be, you know, sitting back celebrating uh, what a what a great song it, it it was and still is? Never, I ne- never in my wildest dreams thought that it would have the kind of life that it did. Because you know there were certainly bigger hits in the in nineteen seventy two, even in the, even in the summer of nineteen seventy two, uh, than Brandy, but they haven't seemed to have the staying power that it has. And and uh, you know, I, there's a lot of I get asked about it, why that is, and there's a lot of reasons I can come up with, but um, it's still pretty amazing to me. It's far-reaching success, just knows no bounds. I love to talk to Australia because, as, as I said, uh, it's the only other place where it was here, so I'll, I'll be happy to talk to almost any Australian at any time. But what exactly are you guys, radio, TV, internet, what, what are you guys doing? This is for our, our podcast. Uh, of, I do radio, and Brian's a singer in a band. Yes, I saw that. Might go and do a cover version of Brandy's. See how Steve, <laughs> you like it. <laughs> I'd like that. <laughs> uh, it's a great song. These days, Elliot, obviously you, you mentioned you've got the YouTube channel and you still uh, still love to, to, to sing and perform? I do occasionally. You know, I, I had uh, kind of retired from that uh, music supervision thing that I told you about uh, after I left. The, the 20th Century Fox Company. I did a bunch of movies and TV as an, as an independent supervisor. And then I kind of retired from it, and I got a call uh, one day from an outfit called Yacht Rock Review. Are you guys in Australia familiar with the whole Yacht Rock thing? Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, so I got a call from this guy, and um, he asked me if I had ever heard of Yacht Rock, and, I, and I, at that time I hadn't, and I told him so. And he explained to me kind of what it was, and he said, uh, you know, your song qualifies. And we have this band, and we do this Yacht Rock music, and would you like to come down to Atlanta and, and play with us? And when I looked into it, I saw they were really popular at that time, certainly in Atlanta. And I watched a couple of their videos. They're great musicians. So I, I said, yeah, and that kind of got me off the couch. And I still play with them from time to time. I just got back from doing something with the Outrack Review. And, you know, I occasionally go out and do gigs. I don't have a band, so it's usually, you know, I do a couple of numbers with whatever band I happen to be joining with that night. I've done a few with a band called Ambrosia. And, yeah, yeah, uh, I remember them. Yeah. But mostly I rock because I love those guys. They're great guys. They're great musicians, and it's always a good time with them. You've got such a distinctive voice. When people hear you singing something else, do they kind of look at you going, hang on, I know that voice. That's the guy who sang Brandy. Well, you know which one I do? Uh is, uh, you know, the song Dancing in the Moonlight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. If you listen to that guy's voice, it's, just, it's a little similar to mine. So a lot of times I'll, I'll do that on stage as well. 
Number one in Cashbox, number one in Billboard, August uh, August 26, uh, 50 years ago, 1972. It's something that you obviously enormously and should be enormously proud of. It's a song that certainly has touched people's lives and, uh, God, that's uh, it's something we'd all love to do. Yeah, that, that part of it is really incredible to me. As you say, I never would have thought, even when it was number one, that, you know, that the song was going to stay around and become part of the culture and be in TVs and movies and around 50 years later, I had no idea. Beautifully done. Uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us, Elliot. We've uh, we've enjoyed catching up with you, and many, many more to come. We hope. Thank you. Thank you all. I love it. I can't get enough of it, Ken. <laughs> I... Actually, we've almost had two I Love That songs on this uh, thing because What About Me is another one of those songs where you hear it and you go, I love that song. 
I love that song. Yeah, no, we've we've sort of doubled up on the I love that song. Yeah, we have. Week. And we might even uh, in the next episode too. I'll tell you about that in a tick. But um, check mm. out Elliot's uh, YouTube channel and uh, also his uh, website, ElliotLurie.com, and uh, you'll be able to see there's a really beautiful version, an a cappella version he does of uh, of Brandy, which uh, you should have listened to as well. It's really, really oh, good. He's, he sings beautifully. And I love the guitar parts in that. Yeah, good. It's a, it's a good song. Just a good pop song. It's one of those good pop songs. Oh, the guitar parts in the a cappella. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Slow on the uptake. Sorry. Yeah, uh, the undies, I, I had the undies that. over my head, mate. It's just gone. It's flown through to the undies. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, if you'd said drum solo, I would have gone, oh, yeah, of course. And go, no, anyway. Um, so check out his website and uh, and the YouTube channel and you'll see uh, those uh, terrific versions, including those wonderful guitar parts. Oh, on an acapella version. Yes, that's yeah. fantastic. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. No uh, Murcots.edu.au, that's the web's the other website we want you to go to because we want you to be safe on the roads. We want you to give them a call and uh, you can book online, but give them a call as well. one 555 They're fantastic. They just really are. And, um, and they gave me a pair of see-through undies. <laughs> and... So now I can have the undies on my on my face while I drive. It's cool. a lot safer than you know the uh, the rigid black ones. But um, so you know, already my driving's improved because they've given me see-through undies to wear on my head instead See, of the other ones. Practical driving tips. That's what they're about. They know the business. Mercot's well, driving excellence, and that's why it's you know they realise that every driver has unique problems. And mine was, of course, the undies on my head. They said, right, oh. first thing we're going to do is we're going to fix this. Oh, you got but, problems, all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, yes I you, do. Have you got problems? Uh, now, on the next edition of this particular podcast, John what would Bru- be on? What, what would be on the next edition? John Brewster from the Angels will be joining oh, us to have a chat. Legend. Legend of a man. Absolutely. Legend of a man. Yeah. Yeah, one of the great bands and one of the, still going as strong as ever today with Dave Gleeson out front, packing yeah. houses all over the country and uh, and still, you know, uh, playing those great, great Australian rock classics that they created. I love that song. Oh, I love a lot of their songs. Oh, I, they're great. I, I love, I, I must admit, the one, the one that always gets me every time is Shadow Boxer. It's just, oh, yeah, yeah, I just yeah. go, yes. More so yeah. than more so than maybe uh, you know, take a long line or am I ever going to see your face again? That's the one that gets me every time. Oh, I think "Be with You" is a beauty. Oh, it's um, a good song. yeah, it's a great song. And um, actually, anything off "Face to Face" I think is great. Mm. Um, but I even you know go back to the album before that, which not many people have heard. But um, songs like "Shelter from the Rain" are good. And, uh, "Shelter from the Rain" is a really good song. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, no, I, I love that song. We've had a great uh, chat with John, and we'll uh, we'll bring that to you on the next episode. And funny enough, it's, as coincidence would have it, when we interviewed Johnny, for some reason he had a pair of undies on his head. <laughs> Something that Kevin Johnson didn't have. Uh, Kevin's our. I love that song because I'm telling you, rock and roll. I gave you the best years of my life. That is one of the great Australian songwriting achievements. It is. It's a. Um, it's a purposeful lyric that's um, semi-autobiographical, biographical, but and then a little bit of fiction chucked in as well. But yep. whatever it is, it's it's all come together to make a, a brilliant song. And he's still doing uh, terrific music these days. We'll play you his new song and we'll play you rock and roll as well. So a lot to look forward to in the next edition. Uh, John Brewster yep. and Kevin Johnson, two greats of the Australian music industry, will join you and me.
I'm not sure that his new song, Disco, I Gave You All the Best Years of My Life, <laughs> is as good as the, as the rock and roll I gave you all the best of my life. And I, I don't know, I think you're starting to flog a dead horse if he comes out with, you know, um, reggae, I gave you all the best years of my life, followed up by poker music, I gave you all the best years of my Wouldn't life. Wouldn't you love to hear a rap version of rock and roll, I gave you the best years of my life? Yo, motherfucker, oh, yo, ho, 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 hey, oh, ha. Yo, motherfucker, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you the best years of my life. <laughs> See what I'm saying? The best years of my life. My life. Could be interesting. Uh, oh, could be great. All right. Uh, thank you, Mr Mannix. Uh, take care of yourself. Enjoy the sunshine. Uh, uh, try to, you know, keep the undies on your head uh, so you don't, uh, you know, you're not affected by daylight saving. But get that in the conversation. I reckon you'll get it through Parliament. Uh, right. Knowing how oh. Queensland Parliament works, that's a Monty. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to Annalise about it. Oh, great. Right. I'll be oh, having yeah. a chat with her. Yeah, all right. Take care. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks to our good friends of Murcotts. Thanks to Alex Smith. Thanks to Elliot Lurie. And uh, we'll see you next time on The Life of Brian. Dot, dot, dot. Mannix, that is you. Yo, right. I get it now. Yeah.